Beast Watch News, watching the rising beast of Revelation. Preparations are being made on both sides of the Middle East conflict for the Bible's Great Tribulation Trigger Wars. Iran is preparing to do battle with the U.S. and Israel, and Israel is preparing to do battle with the Palestinians and Jordan. These trigger conflicts in Scripture are known as the King of the North and Gog Magog Wars. The U.S. and global economies are not looking good and then comes Apophis the asteroid that could hit the earth in 2029 first up Iran. Iran, China, and Russia will hold their first ever joint war drills starting on December 27th, which leaders say are meant to send a message to the world about increased military cooperation between the countries. Fox News reports that the purpose of the war game is to ensure collective security and help strengthen security in the northern region of the Indian Ocean which is witnessing incidents such as piracy. Iranian Navy Commander Rear Admiral Hossein Kanzadi reported last Saturday. He claimed his fleet could travel to the Gulf of Mexico or the Gulf of Finland. The naval commander also portrayed the games as a way of extending Iran's commercial reach. Well, clearly, Iran has intentions beyond the Middle East. The war game seeks to deliver this message to the world that any kind of security at sea must include the interests of all concerned countries, he said. The Jerusalem Post writes, What's really behind the scenes of this is that Iran wants to show off after the U.S. and France have announced maritime security initiatives in the Gulf. Iran is pushing a Hormuz peace plan called HOPE. Iran wants to work more closely with China. Having Russia on board is a win as well for Tehran. The problem for Tehran is that while China is an emerging naval behemoth and Russia is a historic naval power, Iran has a weak navy. Iran's great naval achievement of the last years has been using fast boats to harass real navies. One U.S. official said at a conference in February that the U.S. could destroy Iran's navy easily. In fact, Iran's navy is bifurcated between the IRGC and the actual navy. The IRGC is the one that harasses Western governments. The actual navy doesn't do much, but Iran has been showcasing new drones and other technology for its ships. So Iran's message is that it can play in the big league with the Russians and Chinese. That would be a big win for Iran as it faces the so-called maximum pressure campaign from the U.S., the U.S. National Defense Strategy, conceived between 2015 and 2018, is seeking to shift toward confronting big or threatening countries like Iran, Russia, China, and North Korea. This is supposed to get away from the counter-terror obsession of 2001 to 2015. Go big or go home is the name of the game in this new strategy. The U.S. is going big at sea with a new $20 billion deal for submarines. 
China is looking to build its fourth aircraft carrier and recently ended U.S. military port calls in Hong Kong as a message for the U.S. to stop interfering. The U.S. is spending $650 billion on defense while China is spending $250 billion. Russia has a new warship named the Gromki while it sent its advanced Admiral Gorshkov to Cuba this year. All this now impacts the Persian Gulf because of Iranian attacks on oil tankers that began in May and because various countries want to project strength. France is also in the game in the Gulf. It got the Netherlands to sign on to its naval mission led from the UAE. The U.S. held its maritime exercise IMX in the Gulf in October for three weeks to show its forces. The U.S. 5th Fleet is based in Bahrain. The U.S. has sought to lead an international maritime security construct in the Gulf along with the U.K., Australia, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia. Iran's defense budget at only $20 billion is peanuts in comparison. It has a relatively new destroyer called the Sahand and several other large ships. Overall, though, Iran's naval posturing is purely about showing it can do a joint exercise with other countries amid U.S. pressure. This will lead to its message that nearby countries such as Oman should work with it on its HOPE initiative. This move by Iran to secure military power via other world superpowers would have come sooner or later. Here we are at sooner. This military alliance was triggered by the U.S. fomenting protests against the Iranian government. Those protests set the whole of Iran on fire, literally. The U.S. has been at war with Iran since 1979, but it has been a tit-for-tat terrorism game. Now, Iran is about to change that with this new military alliance. The U.S. is in an economic war with China, so China will be happy to go to military war with the U.S., and the U.S. is also at war with Russia, both in Syria and Ukraine. Iran talking about reaching the Gulf of Mexico is a real threat to the United States, but one that is likely not to be carried out by Iran, but either Russia or China. The article continues, We do not condone the kind of security that only caters to the benefits of one specific country at a specific time and which disregards the security of others. Which country is Kanzadi likely referring to? Well, Israel, of course. He added, Seas, which are used as a platform for conducting global commerce, cannot be exclusively beneficial to certain powers. Revelation 18 lists the cargo that will be needed to, uh, for imports for the Jewish temple operations. The U.S. and Israel are also trying to secure easy access to Israel for these imports. 
so Iran could interfere with the imports for the Jewish temple a move that would further anger Israel and the Trump administration Iran's access to military might will not end with a mere alliance this military.com article says Iran has built up the largest arsenal of short and medium range ballistic missiles in the Middle East surpassing Israel's to deter and threaten the US and regional adversaries and make up for shortfalls in its aging air forces US sanctions and the United Nations embargo on arms sales to Iran have squeezed the regime's ambitions to achieve military dominance in the region but Russia and China are expected to supply new fighter aircraft and tanks when the embargo lifts next year in addition Russia's sale of the SA-20C surface-to-air missile system provided Iran with the first capability to defend itself against a modern air force. Currently, Iran has no nuclear weapons, but its nuclear program remains a significant concern for the United States. Iranian weapons have been seized by the U.S. Navy in the Persian Gulf. Fox News said on Wednesday, U.S. officials confirmed that a U.S. Navy warship has intercepted a significant cache of what is thought to be missile parts from Iran headed to rebels in Yemen. This is the first time such high-level missile components have been seized en route to the four-year civil war in Yemen. According to officials, the USS Forrest Sherman, part of the Harry S. Truman Strike Group operating in the region, was conducting routine maritime operations when sailors noticed a small wooden boat that was not displaying a flag from any country. Navy and Coast Guard personnel stopped the boat and boarded it for inspection when they found the weapons. They did not determine an exact number, but asserted it was a significant cache. They said the small boat was towed to a port and the boat's crew was transferred to the Yemeni Coast Guard. The weapons are being stored on the American ship. Iran has been moving and positioning itself to attack U.S. forces, according to new intelligence reports. CNN reports there is a fresh intelligence of a potential Iranian threat against U.S. forces and interests in the Middle East, according to several U.S. defense and administration officials. This is new intelligence gathered in November. Officials would not say in what format the intelligence exists, but in the last several weeks there has been movement of Iranian forces and weapons that the U.S. worries could be put in place for a potential attack. The head of U.S. military operations in the Middle East recently signaled the U.S. expects some kind of Iranian action in response to the U.S. sanctions and pressure campaign that is trying to get the regime to abandon its nuclear program, not to mention the recent protests fomented by the United States. The U.S. is maintaining its presence in the Persian Gulf. The USS Abraham Lincoln carrier is now expected to stay in the region until the next carrier, the USS Harry S. Truman, moves closer from its current position in the eastern Atlantic Ocean. Iran's war preparations don't stop there. 
CNN further reports that U.S. intelligence agencies and the Pentagon in recent weeks have tracked the movement of a number of Iranian short-range ballistic missiles into Iraq. While some of the missiles may be categorized as ballistic, the official emphasized that they are very short-range without offering more details. The concern is the missiles could now be moved into areas where they could be fired at U.S. troops by Iranian-backed militias. Furthermore, Iran has continued its nuclear program, according to the Times of Israel. France, Germany, and the United Kingdom say Iran's developments of nuclear-capable ballistic missiles go against a U.N. Security Council resolution calling on Tehran not to undertake any activity related to such missiles. Footage released on social media on April 22, 2019, is of a previously unseen flight test of a new Shahab 3 medium-range ballistic missile variant equipped with a maneuverable re-entry vehicle. The video says the Shahab 3 booster used in the test is a missile technology control regime category 1 system and as such is technically capable of delivering a nuclear warhead. In addition to the April 23rd flight test of the new Shahab 3 missile variant, these are cited. The launch of the Borkhan 3, a new liquid-propelled medium-range ballistic missile traveling approximately 1,300 kilometers, which was announced by Iranian-backed Houthi forces in Yemen on August 2, 2019, and is an advancement of Iran's Qiyam 1 missile. The July 24, 2019 launch of a ballistic missile that flew over 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles, which media reports indicated was a test launch of a Shahab 3 medium-range missile, and the August 29, 2019 attempted launch reported by Iranian media of a Safir satellite launch vehicle, which was unsuccessful. UN experts have said such launch vehicles share a great deal of similar materials and technology with ballistic missiles. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has called for increased pressure on Iran. We're seeing the Iranian Empire totter, Netanyahu said on December 4th before departing for Lisbon, citing anti-government demonstrations in Iran, Lebanon, and Iraq. U.S. President Donald Trump has imposed tremendous sanctions on Iran. He said it's important to increase this pressure against Iranian aggression. Debka reports that the U.S. and Israel are definitely ramping up their war footing. A Trump-Netanyahu conversation on Sunday night, December 1st, finalized the arrangements for military coordination against Iran that were set up during recent U.S. generals' talks in visits to Israel. It has been confirmed that General Mark Milley, chairman of the U.S. Chiefs of Staff, arrived in Israel last week to put the final cap on the program of operational cooperation against Iran drafted by the U.S. and Israel. Generals. No details were released from General Milley's conversation with IDF Chief of Staff Lieutenant General Aviv Kokavi, except for a terse statement 
The two generals discussed operational questions and regional developments. I will have more on this conversation between these two generals later on. President Trump went into the NATO summit meetings this week after America and Israel wound up their estimates and military preparations for a showdown in an effort to deter Iran from going through with its planned offensive or else to be ready for counterattack. Now let's talk for a moment about those Iranian protests. Eight alleged CIA agents have been detained in connection with protests in Iran directed at fuel price hikes after the country's supreme leader called the unrest a dangerous conspiracy orchestrated by the United States. A total of six of the eight people were detained during the riots, while the other two were taken into custody, custody rather, while trying to flee the country. The eight suspects, who were allegedly in disguise as journalists and whose nationalities were not disclosed, were responsible for passing on information, pictures, and videos of the unrest to the U.S. intelligence agency. Iran is holding the U.S. responsible for the uproar in that country. And now Iran is becoming brutal to its own citizens. Fox News reports that families of anti-government protesters who have been killed by Iranian security forces during recent demonstrations are being demanded to pay for the bullets used to gun them down, according to a human rights group. In some cases, there are shocking reports that when the authorities have returned victims' bodies to their families, they have demanded payment, citing several reasons, including the cost of the bullet that killed their loved one or compensation for property destroyed during the protests, according to Amnesty International. Amnesty also said that some families are also being forced to make extortionate payments to have the bodies of their loved ones returned to them. Iran State Television on Tuesday also admitted to gunning down rioters in multiple cities, the first time authorities have offered any sort of accounting for the violence used to quell the demonstrations. The Iran protests are wreaking havoc at the highest levels of Iran's government. U.S. News reports that the protests appear to have shaken the political powers and seems to have divided the government from Iran's supreme leader who called Wednesday for those detained in recent gasoline price protests to be treated with Islamic mercy. So while the government wants to make everyone pay, the supreme leader is softening his approach. This is a clear division in approach between the government and the Ayatollah. The comments by Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, who has final say over all state matters in the Islamic Republic, appear to signal how much the mid-November protests shook the pillars of power in the theocracy. Khamenei also said citizens killed in the protests without playing any part in instigating them should be considered martyrs and their families should receive government stipends. Those killed in shootouts with security forces also should have their backgrounds examined, he said. 
making them into martyrs and showing those families mercy over bullet and body payments extorted from families of the victims will ensure that Iranians understand they are at war with the U.S. This, in turn, will ensure the Iranian support of the coming war with the U.S. and Israel. Authorities should console those families that have never had any criminal backgrounds, the IRNA said, paraphrasing Khomeini. Khomeini's comments soften earlier remarks he made immediately after the protests swept across 100 cities and towns. Now let's turn our attention to the Jordan Valley. The Jordan Valley is fast becoming war territory. Its ownership has come into dispute between Israel and Jordan. The Bible is clear. The Jordan Valley west of the Jordan River belongs to Israel, more particularly to the tribe of Benjamin in Joshua 18.21, and it does not belong to Jordan. Israel wants to annex Jericho a Palestinian-controlled city along with the Jordan Valley. Ahead of this annexation, Netanyahu has spoken with Trump about forming a defense treaty between Israel and the U.S. Such a treaty would require the U.S. to get involved in any war with the Palestinians or Jordan. Can you imagine the mess that will ensue? This article from World Israel News said this week, The White House released a statement that said President Donald Trump spoke with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu about Iran and other issues over the phone. We talked about Iran, but we also talked at length about historic opportunities that stand before us in the coming months. And here is more about the talks between the generals Milley and Kokavi, as I said earlier. Among them are establishing the Jordan Valley as the recognized eastern border of the, of the state of Israel, as well as a defense treaty with the United States. Things we could only dream of, but now we have the opportunity to realize them. The defense treaty was an idea floated by Trump this past September. Now Netanyahu has begun pushing Trump's idea of a defense treaty between Israel and the U.S. Trump had tweeted about the possibility of creating this kind of defense treaty, but was rebuffed by most people in the U.S. and Israel. There is also, though, a political motivation in the annexation of the Jordan Valley. The election mess is still bearing down on the House of Judah. Netanyahu continues to use the annexation issue as an election ploy. According to World Israel News, Netanyahu also said that he offered blue and white leader Benny Gantz to join him in this historic endeavor. Rather. I've made Benny Gantz an offer, he said. Let's realize these historic opportunities in a unity government that we establish right now in the format I've suggested. I've gone very far in political concessions toward this goal because we must realize these opportunities, he said. 
Well, annexing the Jordan Valley, Netanyahu said, was the reason he made Kaholavan leader Benny Gantz an offer to execute these historic chances in a unity government that will be formed now, according to the outline I proposed, which he did not elaborate on. So, for gaining another term as Prime Minister... Netanyahu is willing to go to war with the Palestinians and Jordan. Benny Gantz, though, is opposed to the idea of a defense treaty between Israel and the U.S. He warned it would endanger Israel's freedom of military action and breaks with decades of defense policy. He also cast concerns on Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's ability to properly negotiate such a deal while plagued by legal worries as the Premier faces charges in three corruption cases. Blue and white, under my leadership, Gantz says, will not support an international agreement that will limit Israel's actions and the IDF's ability to protect the country from the threats it faces. Remember, Gantz is a former IDF chief of staff. I have deep respect for the strategic relationship with the U.S., our ally, he says, with whom we share identical values and joint interests, but there is a serious concern that a prime minister who is busy with himself will allow the hands of security forces to be tied as opposed to the position expressed by the security establishment for decades. Well, the fear there is that a U.S.-Israel mutual defense treaty could mean the U.S. would dictate to Israel its military activities. Israel would also be called on by the U.S. to get involved in U.S. military interests around the world. But the other side of that coin is that Israel could call on the U.S. to get involved in its West Bank and Jordan Valley battles. And this leads me to a new conflict begun by Israel's new defense minister, Naftali Bennett, this week in Hebron. Israel's new defense minister, Naftali Bennett, ordered a new Jewish neighborhood at the site of the old Jewish marketplace in Hebron on Sunday. Bennett instructed the coordinator of government activities in the territories and the civil administration of Judea and Samaria to inform the Hebron municipality of the plan. The new neighborhood will lead to a continuous Jewish presence from the cave of the patriarchs where, according to the Bible, Abraham purchased a burial plot for his wife Sarah to the Avraham Avinu Jewish neighborhood. It will double the number of Jewish residents in the city, he said. The, the marketplace has been a focus of dispute and has remained empty even after Israel returned to the area in the Six-Day War. The marketplace had belonged to Jews before the 1929 Hebron massacre in which nearly 70 Jews were killed by Arab residents of the city. The pogrom led to the end of Jewish life in Hebron until 1967. Prior to the second Knesset election held on September 17th, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu visited Hebron as part of his campaign. He said, Hebron will never be Juden reign. We are not strangers in Hebron. We will remain here forever, 
he said on September 4th. Regarding Defense Minister Naftali Bennett's decision to approve Jewish construction in Hebron, Shaked said, I spent two years of my life as Justice Minister together with Lieberman as Defense Minister. We presented a professional legal opinion, the Attorney General approved it, and Naftali Bennett made a courageous decision and sent a letter to the Hebron municipality informing them that the projected housing has expired. Shaked explained that Jewish construction in Hebron's wholesome market complex is the closing of a circle. The land of those killed during the Hebron massacre in 1929 has been in the hands of the mayor of Hebron, a murderer until now, she says. The mayor of Hebron, Tessir Abu Shnea, is one of four Palestinian terrorists who was convicted for killing six Jews in a Hebron alley in 1980, including two U.S. citizens and one Canadian. He was sentenced to life in prison but released in a subsequent prisoner exchange. In light of the strong legal opinions of the Defense and Justice Ministries, I believe the matter will pass in court. We carried out very serious legal work, she said. There is no reason for the Supreme Court to invalidate it. The Supreme Court today is more diverse and conservative, and it's indisputable that this is private Jewish land. Well, she's right. The Bible says Hebron is in Judah's allotted territory. But there will be war as Judah takes back its territory. Now, let's turn our attention to the U.S. and global economy. Americans are being lulled into thinking everything is okay because the Trump administration keeps lying to you about the unemployment rate. All U.S. administrations have used this ploy of the unemployment rate since the 1990s to put people at ease. They can pull this off because they stop counting the number of unemployed workers after two years when they drop off the unemployment rolls. The truth is that unemployment in the U.S. is not around 4%. It's just over 8%, double of what Trump reports. Yes, 8% is better than the unemployment rate during the Obama administration. However, it should bother people that Trump is not being more transparent about unemployment statistics. If he is hiding this number, what else is he hiding? The U.S. housing market is crashing. I want to play you some of this short video where top economists are giving warning about the upcoming crash. They say the next one will be worse than 2008. Michael, how are you? I found something really interesting. The whole housing market is propped up on these bad loans. They will fail. The housing market is rock solid. It's a time bomb. You don't need a great memory to recall the last real estate bubble. Just 10 years ago, an implosion in the United States housing market and several others around the globe 
catapulted the world into the worst financial crisis since the Great Depression. Housing prices nationwide have gone sky high, mainly due to QEs. When and if the Fed raised interest rates to the traditional levels, prices will come down and we'll see a surplus of homes for sale on the market. The real estate bubble will be the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is going to end in tears, more so than in 2008. It's just ridiculous how this just skyrocketed in the latter part of 2012. By 2013, we were back to the old games, rampant speculation and flipping. Housing bubbles and housing prices over the long term are incredibly predictable. Even the Fed, who has a terrible track record of making predictions, was able to predict housing prices reverting to their mean at the end of the last housing bubble. It's so apparent when you do a basic level of homework. The question becomes, how does everyone not see the housing bubble? But you know the same could be said back in 2005 to 2006. And doing research for this video, it's shocking to go back to see what people were saying before the last bubble. <laughs> it's a word for word the same. There's no supply. Housing prices don't go down. Inventories are low. Unemployment is low, yeah, etc., etc. It's like deja vu. The average American's home is their most significant investment, so it's natural for people to rationalize their purchase to avoid cognitive dissonance. But for those who have an open mind and are objective, housing bubbles are easy to see. Here are 10 of the most respected business experts who are sounding the alarms about the coming housing market crash and devastating financial crisis. Robert Schiller, Nobel Laureate, professor of economics at Yale University, appears genuinely concerned about the U.S. housing market. In a recent op-ed, Professor Schiller warned that the U.S. was experiencing one of the highest housing booms in its history. The proof that's staring everyone in the face is the fact that home prices adjusted for inflation always mean revert. What concerns Professor Schiller is that the boom cannot go forever, but when the boom ends is anybody's guess. Also, how the boom will end is again far from certain. Will there be a gradual decline or a catastrophic collapse of housing prices? Only time will tell. While one might be tempted to invoke similarities with the housing-induced Great Recession just 10 years ago, one must consider the dissimilarities as well. Housing prices are sharply rising, that is true. But the other co-enablers of the last financial crisis, namely the proliferation of subprime mortgages, collateralized debt obligations, high domestic indebtedness, and speculative housing construction, to name a few, are missing or not as acute. Could housing price inflation alone be enough to bring the housing market down? Four types of allowance or stimulus are keeping the housing market artificially elevated. One, historically low interest rates. Two, a higher allowance of income to mortgage ratio. Three, a more extended period of repayment. Once it was restricted to 25 years, now 40, 50, 60 years, or even leaving the debt to your children. And four, a relaxation of the percentage down payment, 95 to 100% mortgages.
a revision to the historical mean of any one of these four would likely crash the housing market. All four would decimate it. Economist Harry Dent from his side is warning that Miami is becoming a bubble city. He recently wrote an article in the uh, Economy and Markets blog saying, it's a part-time vacation town for many, a show-off place that's big on laundering money into real estate from drug dealers in South America and so on. At night, most are empty with no lights on, even in season. Builders get on a roll at $300 per square feet costs, selling for $700,000 plus. So, they keep building until it blows. I was there a year ago, saw more than twice as many cranes as at the last top in 2005-2006. Most buyers put 20% or less down and don't even have to come up with the rest until completion. They borrow and borrow more if needed as the prices rise. But when they stagnate or fall, they quickly get into trouble. It's the carrying costs that average 4% to 7% before financing. The property taxes are 2% alone. I know because I paid that. When people start to default, the non-traditional lenders add penalty interest and the banks refuse to lend further after prices start to drop. Builders just keep adding inventory to a glut as it pays them a short term to complete. Harry is absolutely right, you know. Double bubble real estate is one of the top 10 biggest rip-offs in the world today. Stay away from bubble real estate at all costs. All the house is, is some drywall and two by fours and a lot of headaches. <laughs> what a laugh. But warning the real estate players they're in a bubble is like telling smokers that smoking causes lung cancer. Yeah, 90% of lung cancer deaths are in smokers. Smoking will kill you is printed right on every pack and yet they don't listen. The smokers just keep right on smoking because they are so very addicted to it, like that nicotine buzz. Just like the real estate players are addicted to that easy, free money for doing nothing. Famed economist Peter Schiff, who was warning about a housing bubble 2.0. Peter Schiff put it pretty bluntly in a podcast. We don't have a booming economy. We have bubbles. And it looks like the air is starting to come out of some of those bubbles. We see signs of trouble, particularly in interest rate sensitive sectors such as real estate. As just one example, home sales in California have hit the lowest level in a decade. And it's not only California. We see declines in many of the most splendid housing bubbles in America. From his side, Gerald Salendi founded Trends Research Institute in 1980 and has earned a reputation as the most trusted name in trends by accurately forecasting hundreds of social, business, consumer, environmental, economic, political, entertainment, and technology trends. Using his global gnomic methodology, is calling this bubble a total insanity. I mean, you know, just take a look at the people running governments for the most of our lifetimes. You want to talk about insane people, you know, as I call them, the repulsive kids and the dumbo craps. You know, so insanity is their normal game and with essential banksters as well. But I agree. And they're already, matter of fact, you're seeing a little boost in the housing market coming up again. And they're just going to keep lowering interest rates, keep it going for a while. And if they go into negative and they do what Denmark is doing, uh, they'll 
they'll keep it floating for a while. But again, at some point, it's going to it's going to crash, and the crash again is going to come from the top. It's already happening here in New York. You know, your luxury apartments, luxury condos aren't—they're not doing well at all. The vacancy rates in the richer areas in, in Manhattan—they're very high. They're looking at twenty percent. You know, so it's going to fall from the top. Former Reagan budget director David Stockman is also warning against the start of what he calls. Housing Bubble 2.0. He said in a recent interview, "The good news is it's early in the bubble, but nevertheless, it's a bubble because our economy is run by a bubble machine, a serial bubble machine, the Fed. And on schedule, it's now turned loose the fast money from Wall Street, the hedge funds, the LBO funds, the short-term traders. Hey, they're flooding into these former subprime markets that are now totally busted." With billions of dollars a month buying up distressed or foreclosed properties, trying to induce a bubble, so that they can attract the dentists, the doctors, and the Chinese to come in and buy for a quick buck. Look, they're not riding into Scottsdale, Arizona, on the back of a John Deere lawnmower, fixing to become landlords for the next seven years. I say they're riding in on a Hoover vacuum cleaner, sucking up the inventory in selected precincts. Selected zip codes in order to induce a bubble and attract buyers, because remember, this fast money is not natural owners of dispersed single-family properties and suburban tracts all around. They're not natural buy and hold because there are no economies of scale. I mean, you're talking about gardens and lawns and crabgrass, and you know, insect-infected trees. If there was a basis for this, they would have been in these markets for 40 years. This is just the fast money coming in because the Fed has now created so much speculation right. in the high yield markets, which are on fire, and the so-called collateralized loan markets, which are on fire. That these、uh, fast money、uh, players can come in with a lot of borrowed money, make huge purpose,、uh, purchases, move the markets. But this is is it worse?、Though? Another expert warning about the housing bubble is Doug Casey. In his blog, is warning that the Fed is popping the everything bubble and an unsustainable economic expansion. He wrote, "The trillions of dollars the Fed printed created not just a housing bubble or a tech bubble, but an everything bubble. The Fed took interest rates to zero in 2008. It held them there until December 2015, nearly seven years. For perspective." The Fed inflated the housing bubble with about two years of one percent interest rates. So it's hard to fathom how much it distorted the economy with seven years of zero percent interest rates. Dr. Ron Paul, from his side, is predicting the collapse of the housing market. Earlier this year, Ron Paul wrote an article wherein he predicts a breakdown of the U.S. housing market. His perspective is unique. And that is placing the blame for this housing market collapse squarely on the shoulders of the Federal Reserve. Take a look at what Ron Paul had to say in his article. Don't blame the market for the housing bubble. Reference one: The U.S. housing market, long considered vulnerable by many economists, is now on the verge of suffering a serious collapse in many regions. Commodities guru and hedge fund manager Jim Rogers warns. That real estate in expensive bubble areas will drop 40 or 50 percent. 
mainstream media outlets like the New York Times are reporting breathlessly about the possibility of widespread defaults on subprime mortgages. James Rickards is predicting chaos on an unprecedented scale. The financial expert, investment advisor, and New York Times best-selling author warns that the most devastating financial crisis yet could just be around the corner. The current run, he says, could go on longer than anyone expects. But when it ends, it'll be a bigger crash than all of them. By then, it'll be too late. October uh, 19th, 1987, stock market falls 22% one day. We mentioned that. 1994, the Mexican tequila crisis. The, the, the Fed had to use a slush fund to bail out Mexico because our Congress said no. 1997, the Asia financial crisis. 1998, Russia long-term capital management. We talked about that. 2000, dot-com. NASDAQ goes down 80%. 2007, the mortgage crisis. 2008, the global financial crisis. These things happen every five, seven years with some regularity. It's not, you can't quite say you're watched by it, but pretty close. It's been 11 years since the last one. Mm. Uh, so who wants to bet that it will never happen again? And, um, and I also make the point that each one's bigger than the last one. So the, the next one is going to be worse than you can imagine. Something we've never seen maybe since the 14th century. And now this from Atom Data. In October 2019, foreclosure filings climbed upward, increasing 13% from the previous month, according to Adam Data Solutions. Newly released October 2019 U.S. Foreclosure Activity Report, the report featured the rise of foreclosure completions in October, which reached the highest point in 2019. Lenders repossessed 13,484 U.S. properties through REOs in October, up 14% from the previous month. Adams' October foreclosure report also noted that foreclosure starts increased monthly in 36 states. Lenders started the foreclosure process on 28,667 U.S. properties in October, up 17% from last month, but down 1% from a year ago, the first double-digit month-over-month increase since February 2018. States with the highest foreclosure rates were New Jersey, Illinois, Maryland, and South Carolina. And now, because we're going to go on to the global economy, I want to tell you about the other way the U.S. government is keeping Americans lulled to sleep about the state of the economy. And that is through constantly stirring up controversies between the two political parties and the Democrats against Trump. This keeps the U.S. news media busy reporting on things that don't matter while the things you need to know go unreported in the mainstream media. Now let's take a look at the global economy. According to Business Insider, Deutsche Bank has made a financial move to stave off its woes for now by selling $50 billion in assets to Goldman Sachs. That does not mean the debt has disappeared. It has only been shifted to another place. The banks are robbing Peter to pay Paul.
the debt is still there and it is the debt that will crash the global economy folks all is not well here is a link to a 40 minute or so video called how do people survive in the USA it looks at people surviving in poverty in the United States poverty is rising in the United States remember that two of the elements of the Great Tribulation are war and economies crashing other elements are natural disasters and plagues this brings me to the last segment of this report Tom Horn's prediction of an asteroid that could hit the earth in 2029 brought to my attention by a friend on Tom's live Thanksgiving night show he shared his belief that this could be the wormwood event prophesied about in the book of Revelation mapping indicates that if Apophis impacts earth it will come down along the coastlines of California and Mexico and unleash a blast equivalent to a billion tons of TNT or more than 65,000 nuclear warheads Horn warned according to IB Times though scientists believe that there are possibilities of this asteroid hitting the planet on April 2nd 2060 followed by close approaches on April 11th 2065 April 12th 2068 October 10th 2068 April 13th 2076 April 13th 2077 April 13th 2078 October 10th 2089 April 13th 2091 and April 14 2103 scientists say the 2029 arrival of this asteroid will be a flyby and will not result in an impact some online rag magazines are calling this a disaster by the god Apophis well they know not what they claim when the earth begins to be hit by rocks know with certainty that it is Yahweh who is stoning the earth's people for their rebellion idolatry treason and rejection of him stoning is Yahweh's preferred method of punishment one way or another maybe sooner maybe later the end is coming and I doubt that the world as it is will see the next 50 years let alone the next 100 that's it for this Beastwatch News Update this is Kimberly Rogers Brown signing off click over to BeastwatchNews.com for full comprehensive coverage of all the headlines fulfilling end of days Bible prophecies